Today we turn our attention to the book of Genesis, the foundational narrative that sets the stage for the entire biblical story. Genesis, meaning origins or beginnings, is not just a collection of tales from the distant past, but a profound exposition of God's creative power, His intentions for humanity, and the tragic introduction of sin into His perfect creation. It is in this book that we find our roots, understand our heritage, and confront the complexities of human nature and divine grace. In this exploration, we delve into one of the most pivotal passages in all of Scripture, Genesis 3, 1, 21. Here, we witness the moment that altered the course of human history, the fall of man. This isn't just an ancient story, it's the story of every human heart. In the garden we see the mirror of our own rebellion, the roots of our deepest sorrows, and the beginning of our profound need for a Savior. As we unpack these verses, we confront not just the story of Adam and Eve, but the story of us all, our failings, our fears, and our future. It's here, in the midst of our greatest downfall, that the first whispers of hope and redemption emerge, setting the stage for the incredible narrative of God's redemptive plan through Christ. So, let us approach this text with humility and eagerness, ready to learn, ready to repent, and ready to embrace the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, we ask for your guidance and clarity. May our hearts be receptive, our minds attentive, and our spirits willing to embrace the truths we discover in these sacred texts. We seek to understand your divine narrative, to grasp the depth of our fall, and to marvel at the promise of redemption that unfolds from the very beginning. In your name we pray. Amen. In the serene beauty of Eden, where communion with God was direct and uninterrupted, a malevolent entity enters the serpent. Described as more cunning than any other creature, the serpent in Genesis 3, one is not just a symbol of evil, but a tangible representation of Satan himself. This creature's craftiness is pivotal. It's a calculated characteristic, instrumental in the ensuing deception. Unlike the other creatures, fashioned to reflect God's glory and goodness, the serpent is set apart by its guile, a stark contrast to the innocence and purity of the garden. The Hebrew word used to describe the serpent, aram, carries connotations of shrewdness and craftiness, attributes that made it a fitting conduit for Satan's deception. The choice of the serpent is in itself a message. It symbolizes the invasive and corrupting nature of sin, which subtly slithers into the garden, sowing seeds of doubt and discord. The serpent's conversation with Eve is no casual dialogue. It's a calculated confrontation, the first battle in a cosmic war between good and evil. Satan, the fallen angel, chooses his vessel and his words with deliberate intent. His opening question, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden, is a masterstroke of deception. Notice the subtlety. He doesn't outright deny God's command. Instead, he twists it, introducing a seed of doubt. The strategy is clear, to undermine God's authority by questioning his words, casting a shadow on his trustworthiness. This tactic is Satan's signature move, repeated through the ages. He takes what God has plainly said, adds a twist, and watches as humanity stumbles. It's a reminder to us that the enemy's primary weapon is deceit, often wrapped in a veneer of truth, making discernment crucial for every believer. The serpent's question does more than just misquote God. It introduces the notion of divine restriction and unfairness. By framing God's command as a prohibition against all trees, 
The serpent insinuates that God's boundaries are not for protection, but for suppression, a lie that has permeated human thinking ever since. This is the crux of the serpent's deception, making God appear as a cosmic killjoy, rather than a loving father. The implications of this are profound and far-reaching. Once doubt is sown about God's character and His Word, the foundation of trust is shaken. Eve, who once walked with God in the cool of the day, now stands at a crossroads, contemplating a reality where God might be less good than she believed. The serpent's deception is not just a historical account. It's a living reality. Every day, believers face the same cunning adversary, armed with the same ancient strategy, to cast doubt on God's word. The battleground has shifted from Eden to our hearts and minds, but the tactics remain unchanged. Today the serpent's hiss is heard in every lie that challenges the sufficiency, clarity, and authority of Scripture. It's heard in the cultural narratives that paint sin as liberation and obedience as oppression. It's seen in the gradual erosion of truth, where absolutes are replaced with preferences, and God's word is subjected to human judgment. The story of the serpent's deception is more than a lesson. It's a clarion call to vigilance. As followers of Christ, we are not immune to the craftiness of the enemy. The serpent still whispers, and hearts still waver. The antidote to this ancient poison is not naivety, but a robust, unwavering commitment to the truth of God's Word. It's a call to know the Scriptures intimately, to hide them in our hearts, and to test every spirit against the unchangeable standard of God's truth. The battle for truth is not fought on distant shores. It rages within us every day. Let us therefore gird ourselves with the full armor of God, holding fast to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, standing firm against the schemes of the enemy, and advancing the cause of Christ with courage and conviction. For in this cosmic conflict, the victory is already assured, and the serpent, though crafty, is already defeated. The interaction between Eve and the serpent escalates quickly from subtle deception to outright challenge. Satan's insinuation that God's command might be restrictive and unfair finds a foothold in Eve's mind. Eve's response to the serpent reveals the initial crack in human obedience. She correctly cites God's command, but adds her embellishment, nor shall you touch it. This deviation, seemingly minor, reflects a distortion of God's word, hinting at a heart that has begun to move away from complete trust in God's instructions. This conversation between Eve and the serpent marks the moment when humanity stands at the precipice of sin, teetering on the edge of a choice with catastrophic consequences. The serpent's craftiness reaches its pinnacle as he contradicts God outright, declaring, You will not surely die. This bold lie is the heart of the temptation, an assertion of independence from God's authority and a denial of his truth. Satan follows this with an enticing promise. For God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Herein lies the lure of disobedience. The serpent presents sin not as rebellion, but as enlightenment, not as transgression, but as the path to divine likeness. The offer is intoxicating, to step beyond the boundaries set by God and enter a realm of moral autonomy and self-determination. Satan's promise to Eve taps into a profound human desire, the yearning for knowledge and autonomy. The tree of knowledge of good and evil stands in the garden not merely as a plant, but as a symbol of a boundary set by God, a demarcation of divine prerogative. To eat of this tree, then, is to reach beyond the human realm, 
to grasp at the divine, to claim for oneself the authority to determine truth and moral direction. It's a seduction that goes beyond mere disobedience. It's an attempt to usurp God's role in one's life, to become one's own God. This is the depth of the serpent's deception, disguising the corrupting nature of sin as the path to enlightenment and power. The serpent's promise that their eyes will be opened is a masterful stroke, playing into the vanity of the human heart. The appeal is not merely to disobey God, but to elevate oneself, to attain a higher state of being. It's a temptation that resonates deeply within the human psyche. The allure of secret knowledge, the promise of hidden wisdom, the enticement of becoming more than what we are. The serpent's words whisper the ancient lie that humanity can transcend its limitations, can break free from the constraints placed by the Creator, and can chart its own course to glory and godhood. The narrative of Genesis 3 is not a tale locked in the ancient past. It's a story that unfolds in the heart of every human being. The same lure of disobedience, the same promise of autonomy and godlike knowledge, confronts us in myriad ways. In a world that champions the self, that glorifies autonomy and self-expression above all, the serpent's whisper is as potent as ever. It's seen in the relativism that questions absolute truth, in the individualism that rejects divine authority, and in the humanism that places man at the center of the universe. The church today stands where Eve stood, amidst the trees of the garden, with the serpent's question ringing in our ears, Did God actually say? The story of the lure of disobedience is a cautionary tale, a reminder of the subtlety of sin and the deceitfulness of the human heart. As believers, we are called to a vigilance that is grounded not in fear, but in a deep love for God's truth. It's a call to discernment, to test every spirit, to hold fast to the unchanging Word of God amidst a world of shifting shadows. It's a call to obedience, not as a burden, but as the true path to freedom and life. In the face of the serpent's lure, we are reminded of the words of Christ. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8 31, 32. In this battle for the heart, the victory lies not in reaching for the forbidden fruit, but in kneeling at the foot of the cross, where true wisdom, true knowledge, and true life are found. The pivotal moment arrives when Eve, followed by Adam, partakes of the forbidden fruit. This act is not a mere nibble of curiosity, but a deliberate and conscious rebellion against divine authority. It's a moment where free will intersects with deception, leading to a choice that reverberates through history. The text poignantly narrates this moment, laying bare the anatomy of sin, the seeing of the fruit as desirable, the taking, and finally, the consuming. Each step marks a deeper plunge into disobedience, a progression that mirrors the journey from temptation to sin in our own lives. Adam and Eve's decision to sin is a stark reminder of the human capacity to choose self over God, autonomy over submission, and immediate gratification over eternal good. The immediate aftermath of the fall is profoundly revealing. The eyes of Adam and Eve are indeed opened, but not to the divine enlightenment promised by the serpent. Instead, they are confronted with their own nakedness an exposure that extends beyond the physical to the spiritual and moral realms. This newfound awareness is not a badge of godlike wisdom, but a mantle of shame, signifying the loss of innocence and the fracturing of the perfect communion they once enjoyed with God. The fig leaves they stitch together in a futile attempt to cover their shame 
are symbolic of humanity's vain efforts to address the guilt and brokenness that sin brings. This moment in Eden marks the genesis of the universal human experience of shame, guilt, and the relentless quest for redemption and restoration. The consequences of that single act of disobedience in the garden extend far beyond the personal plight of Adam and Eve. In that moment, sin enters the world, not just as an isolated event, but as a corrupting force that infects the entire human race. The doctrine of original sin, as articulated in Reformed theology, posits that the repercussions of the fall are not confined to Adam and Eve, but are inherited by their descendants, tainting the very fabric of human nature. This theological perspective emphasizes the depth and pervasiveness of sin, painting a portrait of humanity not as morally neutral beings who occasionally err, but as individuals fundamentally inclined towards rebellion against God. Perhaps the most tragic consequence of the fall is the broken fellowship between humanity and God. The harmonious relationship, characterized by open communion and mutual delight, is shattered. The once intimate walks in the cool of the day are replaced by fear, hiding, and separation. This spiritual estrangement is not just a narrative detail. It encapsulates the core of the human predicament, the alienation from our Creator, the source of life, purpose, and ultimate fulfillment. The narrative of the fall, therefore, serves as a mirror, reflecting the universal human experience of spiritual longing, the innate sense that we are made for more than this world offers, and the profound realization that apart from God, we are fundamentally incomplete. Even as the narrative plunges into the darkness of sin and its consequences, glimmers of hope and grace pierce through. God's pursuit of Adam and Eve, his questioning not as an uninformed deity, but as a heartbroken father, points towards his relentless love and commitment to restoration. The consequences of the fall are severe and just, yet they are mingled with mercies. The promise of enmity between the serpent and the seed of the woman, a cryptic prophecy of the ultimate defeat of evil and the deliverance through the Messiah. In the narrative of the fall, we are confronted with the gravity of sin, the depth of our brokenness, and the profound cost of our rebellion against God. Yet, amidst the thorns and thistles of Eden's aftermath, the first seeds of redemption are sown. The narrative invites us not only to mourn the tragic fall of humanity, but to look forward with hope to the promised Redeemer, who would crush the serpent's head, cover our nakedness with His righteousness, and restore the broken fellowship through His atoning sacrifice. As we reflect on the consequences of sin, may we also cling to the promise of grace, the assurance of redemption, and the unshakable hope found in Christ Jesus our Savior and Lord. In the wake of disobedience, Adam and Eve are not only physically but spiritually naked, exposed in their guilt. Their initial instinct is to hide, both from each other by fashioning garments from fig leaves and from God among the trees of the garden. This action reflects a profound psychological and spiritual shift. Shame enters the human narrative, manifesting in a desperate attempt to cover their sin, to mask the internal disarray. This scene poignantly depicts humanity's universal response to guilt and sin an often futile attempt to cover our transgressions and to hide from the Divine Presence, hoping against hope to avoid the consequences of our actions. Yet in the cool of the day, the Lord God walks in the garden. His presence is not just a testament to His sovereignty, but also to His relentless pursuit of the fallen. His questions to Adam and Eve are not for His benefit. As an omniscient deity, He is fully aware of what has transpired. 
Rather, his questioning is a divine invitation to confession, an opportunity for Adam and Eve to own their disobedience and to come clean before their Creator. God's response to sin thus is not immediate judgment, but a pursuit, a conversation, an opportunity for restoration. It's a reflection of His grace, an indicator that even in judgment, His heart leans towards reconciliation and redemption. The dialogue that ensues between God and Adam, and subsequently between Adam, Eve, and the serpent, is profoundly revealing. Adam blames Eve, and by implication God Himself for providing her, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Eve, in turn, blames the serpent. This shifting of blame is a vivid portrayal of humanity's tendency to justify ourselves, to deflect responsibility for our actions. It's a defense mechanism, a way to cope with the weight of guilt and the fear of punishment. Yet, in this blame game, the core issue remains unaddressed, the personal choice to disobey, the individual act of rebellion against God. This encounter in the garden is not a mere interrogation, it's a deep dive into the human condition post-fall. God's questions and the ensuing responses accentuate the devastating impact of sin on human relationships, with God, and with each other. The harmony that once defined the human-divine and the human-human relationship is disrupted. Trust is broken. Intimacy is replaced with fear. Openness gives way to hiding. And unity is fractured by blame and shame. The narrative is a microcosm of the broader human story, a tale of broken relationships, fractured communities, and a world desperately in need of restoration. In God's response to sin, His character is vividly portrayed. He is not a distant, detached deity, but a personal, relational God, deeply affected by the choices of His creation. His pursuit of Adam and Eve, His probing questions, and His engagement with them in their guilt, all point to His desire for relationship, for reconciliation, and for restoration. Even as He pronounces judgment in the following verses, his actions are tinged with grace, pointing forward to the ultimate act of reconciliation through Christ. This narrative invites us to introspection and confession. Like Adam and Eve, we are often quick to hide our transgressions and to shift the blame. Yet God's gentle questioning and His pursuit of us in our sin is an invitation to come clean, to acknowledge our disobedience, and to seek His grace. It's a reminder that confession is the first step towards restoration, that owning our sin is the beginning of healing and that in God's presence, there is grace enough to cover all our guilt. As we ponder God's response to sin in the garden, let us be reminded of His unchanging character, His justice that demands accountability, His grace that invites confession, and His love that pursues us even in our deepest rebellion. May this understanding lead us to a deeper appreciation of His grace, a more sincere confession of our sins, and a more profound commitment to living in obedience to His word. The narrative of Genesis 3 reaches a critical juncture as God pronounces judgment on the serpent, Eve and Adam. These pronouncements are not merely punitive, they are profoundly prophetic, revealing the far-reaching consequences of sin and God's unyielding commitment to justice. The serpent is cursed above all animals, condemned to a life of enmity with humanity, a symbol of the perpetual conflict between good and evil, righteousness and sin. Eve's judgment encapsulates the distortion of relationships and the introduction of pain, notably in childbirth, symbolizing the broader spectrum of human suffering and strife. Adam's judgment addresses the ground, the very earth from which he was taken, signifying that the repercussions of sin extend to creation itself, 
manifesting in toil, thorns, and ultimately, death. Yet within the folds of this judgment, a glimmer of hope emerges. In God's words to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Lies the first proclamation of the gospel, the Proto-Evangelium. This prophecy points beyond the immediate narrative to a future victory over sin and Satan. The offspring alludes to Christ, who, though suffering the bruising of the heel, would ultimately crush the serpent's head, signifying the definitive defeat of sin and death. This pronouncement is a beacon of hope amidst the darkness of judgment, a promise that God's plan for redemption is irrevocably set in motion. In the midst of these judgments, grace manifests subtly but powerfully. Adam names his wife Eve, a name that means life-giver, an act of faith in the midst of despair, reflecting a glimmer of hope for the future. Moreover, God's act of clothing Adam and Eve with garments of skins is profoundly symbolic. This act signifies God's provision and care, even in the face of disobedience. It implies the shedding of blood, foreshadowing the sacrificial system, and ultimately pointing to the sacrifice of Christ, the Lamb of God. This divine act of covering signifies that while sin brings shame and exposure, God's grace brings covering and restoration. The judgments pronounced in the garden echo through the corridors of time, resonating with the realities of our fallen world. The pain, the toil, the broken relationships, and the pervasive presence of sin are daily reminders of the Edenic fall. Yet these judgments also carry within them the seeds of hope, the assurance that sin and death do not have the final word. In every thorn there's a reminder of the crown of thorns Christ would wear. In every sweat of the brow, a reminder of the drops of blood in Gethsemane. In every pang of childbirth, a reminder of the birth of the Savior who would bring true and eternal life. As recipients of this narrative, we are invited to live in the tension of the already and the not yet. The victory over sin and death has been won on the cross, the head of the serpent has been crushed, and yet we live in a world where the effects of the fall are still evident. We are called to live as redeemed people in a fallen world, to embody the hope of the gospel amidst the realities of sin and suffering. We are called to be agents of reconciliation, bearers of grace, and heralds of the ultimate redemption that is ours in Christ. In Genesis 3.14.21, we witness the gravity of sin met with the majesty of grace. Judgment and mercy intertwine, weaving a narrative that speaks of the holiness of God, the severity of sin, and the unfathomable depths of divine love and grace. As we reflect on this passage, may our hearts be moved by the seriousness of our rebellion and stirred by the incredible mercy of our God. And may we, like Adam and Eve, clothed not in fig leaves but in the righteousness of Christ, walk in humble obedience and fervent hope, looking forward to the day when the promises of redemption find their ultimate fulfillment in the new heaven and the new earth, where sin, pain, and tears are no more. As we conclude our journey through the narrative of Genesis 3, we stand in the shadow of the fall, yet in the light of God's unfailing grace. The story of Adam and Eve is not a remote tale buried in the sands of time. It is our story, a reflection of our own rebellion, our own fall, and our own profound need for redemption. The echoes of Eden resound in every heart, in every struggle, and in every longing for restoration. In the gravity of God's judgment, we are confronted with the severity of sin, the holiness of our Creator, and the deep rupture that disobedience brought into the world. 
Yet in the same breath we are enveloped by the dawn of mercy, the first whispers of the gospel in the Proto-Evangelium, and the divine provision that points forward to the ultimate sacrifice on Calvary. In the garments of skin for Adam and Eve, we see a prelude to the robe of righteousness that Christ offers to clothe our nakedness and cover our shame. This passage invites us to a place of humble reflection, sincere repentance, and renewed commitment. It calls us to recognize our part in the narrative of sin, and to embrace fully the grace that is extended to us through Jesus Christ. As we navigate the complexities of life in a fallen world, let us hold fast to the hope of the gospel, the promise of restoration, and the assurance of victory in Christ. May our hearts be stirred to live not as captives of the fall, but as ambassadors of reconciliation, agents of grace, and heralds of the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. And may the story of Genesis 3, with its profound lessons, guide our steps and lead us ever closer to the heart of God, where true life, eternal joy, and unshakable hope are found. Amen.